We'd like to thank our sponsor, SLC Guitar, for another sweet guitar riff. Welcome to another episode of Build with Breen Homes, where we talk all things construction, business management, and just have a good old time behind the microphone. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Breen Homes podcast. You guys have caught me right in the middle of a busy fall few months or the beginning of a busy fall few months and I've been traveling and uh, unfortunately uh, I've had a hard time getting in front of uh, the incredible Mr. Hicks and so I've plagued you guys with a, a, a series of short series and guess what you get another one today but what I did is try to make this one a little more special and I reached out to Mr. Hicks and I said tell you what send me a few questions I think four to five questions. I think he sent me four. I said, send me some questions that I can play and answer off the cuff. So I haven't listened to these questions yet. I'm going to fire through them and try to uh, try to give some good responses and have a little bit of a conversation, even though he's not here. And I felt bad. Uh, I'm, I'm down at uh, in Palm Springs, California at our National Leadership Conference for the National Home Builders Association. And uh, my ability to catch up with him at a nightly hour was tough for him and the family. So you know what? We're going to try to play a little bit of AI and work together. So here it goes. We are going to take question number one. Again, I've not heard these. We're going to listen to them here on the air and uh, try to give a response. We'll see how it goes. So here's question number one. All right, Adam. We had a pretty crazy winter last year. And I'm wondering, do you have any tricks of the trade to help you through you know, hard winters like we just had? Okay, so a crazy winter for those that were uh, living in Salt Lake City, Utah at the time. You know, we we understand how wild of a winter it was, and I think it wasn't just obviously local to us. Uh, a lot of the West Coast had a crazy winter, but we received record-breaking snow. Um, the last time we had a similar winter to this was in uh, 1983 and into 84. Yes, it was a bit wild. And tricks to the trade for winter, no. To be candidly honest, this is the first time uh, in my career of 25 years about in the industry that I've ever uh, decided to just pause on a few of our high elevation homes. Um, years in the past when we've been able to work through it, um, this year after three different projects of ours had more than 10 feet of snow stacked on the properties, uh, we did a budget analysis and looked at uh, the cost to use machines and trucks to haul snow away because we could no longer pile it anymore uh, versus just sitting for three or four months and letting nature do its job and it melting. And we decided on those jobs that the cost to spend was not worth pushing forward. Now, that being said, um, those through winter environments, yes, we can continue to work. It may be, I don't want to say unheard of, but it may be less common for people to know that the big concern for winter, you know, is early construction is freezing ground. Ground freezes just like an ice cube. When it freezes, it expands. When it thaws, it tends to kind of melt and settle back down. You know, and you really can't put a, a foundation of a home on a frozen ground. It can cause heaving uh, and eventually failure problems. That's your biggest concern. Outside of that, you do have some issues with frozen concrete. That's usually a visual issue. It's not so much of a structural issue. You can have some issues with some rot that can go into the lumber that you put in homes. You know, so again, our goal really is to keep things as dry as possible, knowing that things get wet. Uh, a lot of our building products can take on water. 
Um, I think the most important thing I can say is if you do frame a home through the winter uh, and eventually get to a point to where you need to put some sort of, uh, you know, finishing on that home in the wintertime to make sure you dry out that home good and well before you start hanging drywall, that can cause an issue as well. So that's maybe a little too long of an answer there, um, you know, but I wouldn't say that I had any major tricks to the trade with it as crazy as this winter was for us. So let's go into question number two. Here we go. Being a member of the Home Builders Association, what would you say are the benefits of being a longstanding member of the HBA? And how does that benefit your clients? Okay, so long-standing member of the HBA, uh, the Home Builders Association. I am a part of the Salt Lake Home Builders Association. I have been since 2013. To give a few accolades, uh, I joined, you know, 10 years ago. I was young, was putting a home in the parade. Between speaking my mind and speaking up, surprise, surprise to those that know me, I moved up the ranks relatively quick into a uh, parade committee eventually a parade committee chair for two years in a row. I believe that was in 2016 and 2017. It was around that time I was asked to sit on the board through the uh, HBA. I sat on the board for a couple of years and uh, chairing a few different committees and then made it into the executive committee that uh, moves from a uh, second vice president into a first vice president and then a president position and serve a fourth year as an immediate past president. I was the president through the COVID year at the HBA, so I had a lot of experience there. Uh, and quite frankly, I was through a, a sitting in the executive team through a lot of interesting change through the HBA and went through a lot. So that's somewhat irrelevant to Brandon's question, but uh, being a longstanding member, in fact, I was just talking about this today in one of my national meetings that I was at uh, and said, truly, you know, 10 years later, moving through, you know, what I considered young and a young professional into, you know, I hate to say it, but a middle-aged position, what I look for now really is community. I look for those friendships, those relationships that I have, how they support me in the industry, how they can help me answer questions that are tough uh, or get clarification where I need it, support when I need it going through, you know, my own private sector of business. Those have all been incredibly supportive. I've also started to recognize after about 10 years through the HBA, how much legislation and government advocacy, not only do the local, but the state and the national level do to support our industry as well. And it's expanded my mind into a bit more of a community feel as well. So, you know, for me, I'm a boutique custom home builder, and I really do focus on homes and clients that are building, you know, either their home before retirement or their retirement home and plan to stay there for a long term. But I see the impacts that you know, the affordable home or the beginner starter move up home uh, has a play on my particular client that eventually moves out of those homes into second, third, fourth homes and final homes, so to speak. And so for me to be able to have a bigger impact on my expanded community, uh, my county or my city, you know, uh, and jurisdictions, areas that I live in helps me understand kind of the economy as a whole. And a lot of that is done through my connections and uh, advocacy within the uh, local, the state, and the national HBA. So I think that's uh, you know a long-term member of what it gives to me in its current standing. Now that uh, what that does for my clients, I think one it paints a level of understanding for me um, to have a big picture of what is going on in our economy. 
what our economy and community looks like from the home building front, not just on the niche that I'm in, but you know, globally is the wrong word, county-wise, what we're doing, what it looks like, what concerns that we have in place. I have a little bit more understanding behind the legislation and the code that's written to help you know, progress the economy, whether it's for good or for bad for the homeowner. And then I often tell a lot of my, my clients that look, as a member that has spent a lot of time building these accolades, being a part of the community, uh, and you know, to be quite frank, looking for some respect in the community, I'm expected to uphold that level of respect. And, and so I do tend to have you know, what I would say is a little bit more, I want to say grit, but a, a little bit more weight behind performing for those clients and doing a stand-up job. Now, the relationships that I've made in the HBA have helped me continue to land uh, or continue to have that weight be covered by a well-ran business and a well-organized business. Uh, however, I'm forced to be in a position that I have a lot of connections and I don't want upset or unhappy clients. So I do try very hard to say that that puts a weight that is calculated in a sense against me to demand that I do a good job. But I do believe that those positions that I've set in, the relationship that I've gained, and the people that I've built my business around also helped me have a better better business and can set those expectations a little bit higher. So hopefully that answers that question. Let's move on to number three. Let's see what we got. All right, man. Everybody's got something to say about the economy right now. Based on your years and experience in construction and the knowledge that you have gained from contractors before you, what advice would you give anybody trying to or thinking about building a home right now? Okay, so uh, experience in the industry, giving advice to people who are considering building a home now based on the current state of the economy is how I'm going to phrase that question. Um, you know, I, I in my younger years, I was hell on wheels, go for it. I don't want to say that's changed much. However, I do think throughout my years of, of gaining some maturity in our industry, um, I've, I've maybe taken a little bit of a step back for some of that calculated hell on wheels, I'm going to put it. I will say that right now, I believe that our, our economy in the home building industry is a bit bipolar. One day it's, it's inflation, it's growth, it's, you know, we got to slow this, this train down, you know, we're making money, the economy moves in fast. The next day is potential recession, interest rates are killing us, and we don't have work in front of us. So the bipolar market it has kind of forced me to use some of my wisdom throughout the years. And, and I think it's what it's, what it's done to me and my business has forced me to strategically plan over long-term and not short-term. For example, if we're making a, you know, a ton of money last year, ton of money is relative, right? But if we're making money last year and next year looks a little more gloom, we need to plan for our, our expenses and our spending five to 10 years throughout those years to have a level playing field. And it's really hard to do where one year can outperform another year by one or two or three or 400%. You feel fat, rich, and happy. And then next year you feel really poor. And the only way to do that is the years that you feel fat, rich, and happy to stow away. So the years you can feel poor, you can actually survive. So that being said, um, the advice that I would give somebody looking to build right now, I've recently said this on a podcast, 
talking a little bit more about purchasing real estate, but I think the same thing goes with building real estate as well. The time is never going to be calculated perfect, meaning you're going to have a really hard time calculating to build in the point of a slowdown or when subcontractors are desperate for work and willing to negotiate or contractors' fees come down 1% or 2%. At the end of the day, the right time for you to move forward with a construction project or purchasing real estate is when you financially can. If you take the, the real estate market over just about any period of 30 years, you take a 30-year time period and you separate that one in, whenever you want to start it, whenever you want to finish it, you're going to see a steady growth of real estate. You know, it's going to be very, 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 very unlucky that you see a, a drop. Let's take 10 years. You're probably very similar if you take a, the same 10-year you know, gap and try to adjust that for you know, growth in the real estate market you're going to see a steady growth. You're going to have ups and downs, but you're going to see a steady growth. So my point being is a client that's looking to build today, if the finances align, now is the right time, move forward with it. Real estate is never, it's never going to feel cheap and easy. It's always going to feel like a stretch. But I can honestly say I don't believe, trying to think back in my mind here, you know, outside of some bad investments that I've seen people make on investment properties, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that was a bad investment when they bought their own personal real estate. Most people tend to spend some time in their own personal real estate. Time will raise them equity and growth in that. They will pay their mortgage as long as they don't overspend on what they can actually afford to make a monthly payment on. You know, and then the last thing I want to point out even tonight at dinner, I was having a discussion with an associate saying, listen, if you take how I phrased the, the discussion was, I, I can't think of another industry that you can make as much money as you can off borrowed money. For example, let's take a million dollars, a million dollar purchase, and I put down 20%. So I put $200,000 down. And let's say I make an average of 12% year over year on that million dollars. So I'm making $120,000 a year of equity and growth on that real estate. But yet remember, that's not on my $100,000. That's on my $200,000. That's over a 50% return. Now, yes, you could say, okay, I've lost, you know, on that million dollar, you know, $800,000 note. I've probably lost somewhere around $60,000 a year to interest. But you could also argue back that you've probably paid down, let's say $15,000 on your loan. So you minus that from it, you're down 45,000 from the 120,000 that you made. I still think you're in the net positive $80,000 on 200 grand. Okay, maybe that's 35 or 40%, but I don't know anybody that's complaining about making 30 or 45% on 200 grand. So going back to this, I think the point that I'm trying to drive away is get in the real estate ownership market. That is the American dream and that's where money is made. Okay, we finished that question. Let's jump to number four. All right, here's a fun one. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> I'm going to give you an opportunity to make $500 million. All you have to do is spend $50 million within 30 days. The trick is you cannot gain any assets from spending that $50 million or donate it to anyone, what would you do? Also, if you can guess the movie, 
and the main actor in this, the lead actor in that movie, I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Uh, a fun one, he says. Um, I know the movie. Uh, I believe it, the main actor was not John Candy. Um, I'm trying to think of the main actor. Uh, oh, it was a black gentleman. It's Brewster's Millions. It's a baseball movie. I love it. It was, it was done God, when I was a young, young, young kid. And I do not remember the actor's name. I can see his face. Freaking mustache, tall, skinny guy. Uh, his last name was Brewster. God, I don't remember the actor, main actor's name, so I might lose on this one. Anywho, let's jump into the question. If I was had the opportunity to make $500 million and I had to spend $50 million without gaining an asset, and I'm going to take the movie out of it and try to think on my own of what I would do here uh, to get there, and it can't be a charitable donation. Oh, man, I'd buy a yacht. I'd go sell the freaking open oceans on a $50 million yacht. That's exactly what I would do. But I think you'd probably consider that as an asset. Uh, and I can't donate when I'm, maybe I could sink it. Can I sink it when I'm done? <laughs> if I can sink it when I'm done, I think I've mastered you. I think uh, I think I could buy, it's a depreciating asset. Um, but if I sink it and I have no asset, then I, <laughs> I might win on that one. It's an interesting topic to think of. I actually had somebody uh, just the other day, you know, ask me if I received a million dollars today, cash influx. Uh, and it, it had no applicability, what would I do with it? And if I remember right, I broke it down and said I would put 50,000 of it direct, or not 50,000, 50% of it directly back into real estate. I would take 20% of it and put it in high-risk investments, uh, you know, VC funding, cryptocurrencies, something was maybe a little more risky, uh, but higher potential on maybe return. I would take, what else did I have? Let's see, that was 70%. I said I'd put 5% into charity. I would put 5% into a standard savings account for uh, you know the bad days or the bad years, so to speak. Uh, that would give me an 80%. I said I would do 10% that I just absolutely would go out and blow. I have a theory behind that that uh, when you take a, a when you have a big win, if you don't get the spending out of your system. Uh, you'll turn around and spend more than 10% in small doses. So I would tend to go in and you know blow 10% right away on something that I wanted to do. And what was the other? I'm actually going to pull up that text message because we were going back and forth on it. I said, uh, oh, I would do the remaining 10% to pay down current good debt, uh, not being bad debt. I wouldn't go in and buy a car or something like that. I would take uh, some other real estate debt that I have and just pay that down when needs to be. So Anywho, that sways a little bit from your uh, your question. It is a fun one. I don't know how to expand on that without a little bit of thought behind it. You know, but the thought of uh, of having the ability to get a five hundred million dollar uh, you know influx would be quite incredible. Um, spending fifty million dollars in a month would be you know in a lot of ways. I think people think that they could do that. You're right. You could go out and purchase real estate, but it'd be really hard to go out and blow real estate. In fact, funny story, um, you know, we're 21 minutes into this and I was fishing, um, I guess just was it last month, either last month or the month before down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, went down with a friend and we were chasing some, uh, some redfish on the fly. And uh, we found ourselves off the, the ocean fishing, usually between three or four o'clock every day, and in this sleepy little town outside of Corpus Christi, um, 
you know, called Rockport. And to be quite frank, we were bored out of our minds staying in this little motel. And uh, we found ourselves burning time. We'd go sit in the pool as long as we could, um, you know, go to a dinner, walk around town, but it was so sleepy that it shut down early. And so we found ourselves going and buying scratch tickets, scratch lottery tickets uh, from the local gas station. <laughs> we were sitting at uh, our, our little small uh, bed and breakfast dining room table, scratching these scratch tickets. And I scratched off my winning numbers. For those of you that play, understand this. I don't play scratch lottery, you know, maybe less than a handful of times in my entire life. I scratch off a number and I'm using, uh, I believe I could have been using a fly, a, a, a hook for my fly fishing. I think I was, and I scratched it a little too deep. And I believe I read the number 33. So I start scratching off the rest of my ticket and I get about halfway through it and I scratch off a number 33 and I'm like, yeah, cool. 33. And I scratch off below it and it says 5 million. And I go, oh shit. No, that's too good to be true. So I look down at it. I look back up at my winning number. It says, yep, it's 33. And I look back down at my my uh, number on the card. And it says 33. And I look at $5 million. And I go, yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. I'm going to finish the rest of my scratch ticket. So I go all the way through the whole thing. There's no other winning numbers on it. And I look up at uh, my friend that I'm with. And I, I, I hand him the card. And I said, dude, am I crazy? Or is this number a 33? And he says, yeah. And I said, okay, is this number at 33? And he says, yeah. And then he looks at me and he goes, holy shit, you just won $5 million. And I bust out laughing. I mean, of all things, you know, we're playing scratch stickers in Rockport, Texas, and we win $5 million. And he looks at me and goes, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't even know how you collect this $5 million. Do we go back to the gas station? You know, do they open up some vault and have this cash? Like, how do we do this? I don't want to be in the news for this kind of crap. Like all of a sudden I've got these, these like hot sweats. And uh, I said, well, I mean, obviously we're, we're going to just, you know, split the winnings, but let's, let's go out and blow $50,000 tonight. That was the first thing I said. I said, let's just go out and see if we can blow $50,000 tonight on whatever it is. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Like the hell are we going to spend $50,000 on? And I said, and then, uh, you know, I think we should go back to the gas station and give that attendant 10 grand. You know, and then whatever's left, you know, after taxes, let's say realistically, you only collect 2.5 million. You know, we blow a hundred grand over the next day or two, just goofing off. And we have 2.4 million. Then, you know, I'll give you 1.2 and I'll take 1.2. And we're going, cool, that's a good influx. Now, you know, what do we do next? And so we're talking, well, let's plan another trip and let's let's go to uh, the Seychelles fishing, you know, next year. So we're joking about us. And we probably have a good five to 10 minute discussion. And then I'm looking at the card and I, you know, I, like I said, I'd scratched off with a fish hook. So I'd scratched a little too deep and gone down through the second three on the 33. And as I look at it a little bit closer, I look at the angle of the three and notice it's a little more sharp on the winning number versus the, the, you know, the gameplay number, so to speak. And I realized that it's a 32 and the winning number was a 33. So we didn't win. We didn't win anything. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we just, it wasn't even a letdown. We just started laughing about this situation. Um, but still, I mean, it's only been a couple months, but there's been multiple times I've talked to this friend and <laughs> he says, you remember that time we won $5 million off the scratch ticket? Uh, uh, you know, not that it goes, you know, how are we going to spend the money? But uh, the funny part behind it is it goes back to, 
can you spend that money and what do you do with it? And he still to this day jokes to me and says, you know, Adam, uh, I knew you were a true friend when, you know, one of the first three things you said was, let's go give the attendant that we bought these tickets money. Let's go spend some money tonight. And then I'm giving you half right away. There wasn't even a question. And I said, well, yeah, and we're here together. Duh. And, and I thought about that. I thought, you know what? That's, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. 1.2 or $2.4 million, whatever it would be, it would be a huge influx in my life. But I don't know, my life is just not defined by those types of capabilities and, and those types of constraints. You know, so to me, it was just like, eh, cool. So I want it. It's fake. <laughs> you know, And I just didn't take it that serious. Anywho. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, Brandon, I, I don't know what I would do. I'm going to stick with the yacht answer and sink it. So there you go. All right. We're going into question number five and then uh, we close out from there. So let's listen to it and see how we respond to it. All right, Adam, here's a good one. What are the five items that you would recommend your clients to upgrade to? Also, what are the five items that you would not recommend your clients upgrade to? All right, five pros and five cons for upgrades in a house. Um, you know, without much thought behind this, I'm going to start off with number one would be insulation. Uh, I believe that that's probably the cheapest, most efficient way to get effective value out of your house uh, for a low price. Um, that's probably number one. Number two, I'm going to go with a uh, drum roll because I'm trying to think of something here. Uh, I'm going to go with a backup generator. Uh, believe it or not, we don't sell a lot of backup generators. They are relatively expensive, uh, but there is absolutely nothing worse than one or two or three or four times a year when you have a power outage, even if it's for a couple hours, whether it's in the dead of the cold or the hot of the heat, um, there's nothing worse than not having power in your house for even an hour. Everything goes down. You know, Wi-Fi goes down. Uh, cooking capabilities oftentimes goes down. You can get by. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, a total, for lack of better terms, a millennial that can't figure it out. You can get by. It's actually sometimes nice and feels good to have a break uh, when you can uh, light up a candle. But, you know, you sit back and about your only option is to light up a candle and read a book. And uh, if you've got family and kids, it makes it dang near impossible. So a backup generator with an automatic transfer switch. Like I said, we don't do a ton of them, but we do do a fair amount of automatic transfer switches. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with uh, you know something that may seem a little out of the ordinary here, um, but I'm going to go with a fireplace. Um, the reason I'm going to say a fireplace is I'm thinking of something that that makes your home, your house feel like home, and there's nothing more cozy than a fireplace in the house. Uh, I think it's a huge upgrade if you're already doing one. Do a nicer one. Make it a center of focus. You'll find yourself, uh, you know, even if you only kick it on a few times a year, the times that you do kick it on, it just brings comfort to home. And I think that's incredibly important uh, in anybody's house. Um, and, you know, it, it just, it's, it almost goes back to against what I'm saying about the backup generator, but it just gives you somewhere to sit and be a little more quiet. Um, number four, I'm going to say for homeowners, uh, spend some time in upgrading your master suite uh, of your house. Um, I know I'm not being super specific about that, but uh, for me, uh, where I do have young kids at home, um, you know, we entertain a fair amount. It is the one area that I can kind of go back to and have it be my area 
um, alone, away from everybody, you know, whether it's bathroom area or bedroom area or both. I think that's incredibly important. And then number five, uh, I'm going to put out there, you know, and a lot of these are livable things for me. They're not necessarily doing with efficiency. But number five, I'm going to say, you know, whatever hobbyist you are, spend the money in feeding that itch, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I have a gear room in my house that uh, has, you know, my safe. Um, it's where I house all of my fishing equipment. It's where I keep my backcountry skis and where I tune them. It's where I reload bullets for my shooting. Uh, it's where I keep my safe that I keep any, uh, any um, valuables or uh, you know things that need to locked up in them, guns, that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's a point in feeding that hobby for you or your wife, uh, you know, or husband, vice versa, uh, in your home that, again, kind of gives you your space space, whether it's a garage, a craft room, a theater, you know, a basketball court, a pool table, whatever it might be. And we've done pickleball courts at homes. I think that it's really important to have those escapes, um, you know, a, a weightlifting room. Those escapes are areas that, you know, need to be in your house. Okay, so the five areas that I would not recommend an upgrade on your home. This is going to be a little more difficult for me because I do believe that spent in the right areas, uh, that nicer, more expensive things. Notice I put two things in there, nicer, more expensive, better quality and more expensive things do have their place and their value. That being said, unless it's a hobby and labor of love for you, I would say don't overkill your landscaping and the maintenance that you're going to have to put into it because it turns into more than a labor of love and a full-time job for you. Um, so that's maybe number one. Number two, let me put it this way. Um, this may not be a specific area, but I do believe now with uh, constant changes, more access to interior design, more access to pictures, social media content, more people tend to change their flavors um, more often. And I, I believe that tends to lead to remodeling more often. You know, so... I would tend to not upgrade in permanent fixtures on a house and uh, spend more money in, you know, maybe art and decorations in your house that can easily be changed out. For example, I tell most of my clients, and it could be because I build more of a contemporary style home, but stick with, you know, blacks, whites, grays, beiges, taupey tans, neutral colors, and bring your flair and color in. Uh, via furniture, pillows, blankets, and decor that you can switch out to springtime season, summertime season, falltime season, wintertime season uh, to encapsulate the moods that you want to have around your house and don't spend a lot of time in you know, maybe a wild accent color or accent wall um, that you may fall out of love with. Um, you know, so that, that maybe kind of encapsulates, uh, encapsulates a lot of finishes, you know, but I would probably say that that's an area where I feel like you're probably spending money you don't need to spend um, to create the magazine perfect home that you may struggle with, uh, you know, years down the road when styles change um, and go out of style. So can I maybe count that as number two, three, and number four? Uh, <laughs> come up with a fifth one here. Man, Brandon, this is hard to do on a fly. You're a dick for doing this to me. I guess it was my idea, so I guess I got to pay for it. 
Um, number four, I'm going to go with solar panels. Um, that's probably a really odd one to just throw out there and pick out. Uh, I think the current cost uh, to value add of solar panels, the cost of energy is getting less because more people are getting you know smart, clean energy from panels. So more power is being sent back to the factories. We haven't seen a huge reduction in the cost of solar panels. The cost to put a backup storage battery in your house to store the power and harness it yourself to release it back in your own home is very expensive. And it seems like the buyback on panels, even with tax credits, is oftentimes somewhere around 12 to 15 years. And I'm going to say that most homes in the Salt Lake Valley put a 30-year architectural asphalt shingle on the house that really only gets 20 to 25 years out of it because we're in a harsh environment where we have snow sitting on our roofs for, you know, uh, a, a couple months out of the year. We go through some hot and cold months. Um, that I think unless you're putting them on right from the get-go, you have the money to spend. It's a very small window. It's probably not worth the value add. So there you go. Um, man, we drug this out a little bit longer than I thought it to, thought I would do uh, tonight uh, and today. I'm going to leave it with there. I hope that this was a good way to uh, create a, a happy mix between you know, a short minute with Mr. Breen and bringing in the flavor of Mr. Hicks. When we can't seem to coordinate our schedules, um, you know, I I will blame it on myself for traveling uh, and being out of town and being busy with work. Uh, but I have a feeling that Mr. Hicks is very much the same way. So to those that listen, thank you very much for continuing to uh, listen to these podcasts. I have a lot of fun with them. To be frank, that's 90% of the reason I do them. I've always said that when uh, when I'm... When I'm no longer having fun doing them, I won't do them. And uh, I'm sitting here, like I said, in Palm Springs, California. It is 9.30 at night. Uh, I just came back from a wonderful dinner with some friends. I had a great day of some education and understanding in our national forecast through the National Association. And I chose to come back here and sit in front of my computer and respond to some questions because I truly enjoy it. And I'd rather do that than turn on the TV. So thanks again for listening, guys. Hope you have a a wonderful uh, day or evening or weekend, wherever we're at. And as always, this is a good opportunity to say, if you have questions, record them and send them my way. Shoot them to me in a text. uh, Send them to me on a social media message. DM me. Slide into my DMs. Um, We've had a few of those requests in the past and having a lot of fun with them. So keep it up and let's keep rolling. Thanks, guys. Thank you.